I hereby introduce to you, Mr. Michael Vizi. That's a lawyer on today. Uh, it's always, <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like a, a bad idea when there's lots of lawyers going around. That sounds really scary. But actually, this is not about being scary. This is about um, getting rid of fear. A lot of people have fear around legal issues, and quite rightly, because they are important. But uh, most of us then either kind of sit in worry or duck our heads into the sand because we don't know. So very happy to um, welcome Anthony Famularo uh, from uh, Rosenbaum Famularo Lawyers, the Amazon sellers lawyers, and he's going to talk to us about patents and trademarks, a very important subject. So Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Anthony, I have to say, you, you set me the biggest test with the, the name of your firm there. It's uh, it's quite a tongue twister. My own name, Michael Vizi, is also one of those weird ones to spell and say. So, <laughs> um, Welcome to the show. Hope I got your name roughly right. And Anthony, can you just tell us a little bit about how you got started in this particular field? Yes, of course. Um, I... Um... I was a general civil attorney here in New York. Me and uh, I met CJ Rosenbaum uh, when we were working on other matters. Uh, he was the man with the idea when he when he started the firm. He um, introduced me to it, and it's been a whirlwind since then. It's been um, crazy ride, and it's kind of serendipitous how me and CJ met. But that's how I got into this, and I never saw it coming. But it's been it's been a crazy ride so far. So far, excellent. Right, it's a crazy ride. That's not words the lawyers would normally use, but that that's uh, Amazon for you, isn't it? It's the, the whole thing moves fast somehow. So um, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. I mean, the first thing we're going to talk about patents and trademarks for Amazon sellers. Uh, we focus on this podcast on uh, private label sellers, but people you know do things either side of that sometimes they resell other people's products sometimes they create their own original design so let's deal first of all with definitions because a lot of people get a little bit confused about this stuff me included um so we're talking about intellectual property first of all so what are the biggest misconceptions around intellectual property or ip that you personally have come across um for me it's it's generally with patents. I think people can understand copyrights to a certain extent and trademarks. Generally, understanding patent law out of all of it, the common misconceptions, most issues come with um, people trying to interpret patent law by themselves. Okay, so let's talk about patent law. So first of all, um, we're talking about common misconceptions. So what? first of all, let's start off with clearing some myths out of the way. What is, what is the biggest misconception around patents and what's the sort of correct um answer i'd say i guess the level level one is is kind of we have client we'll have clients that think that or they'll kind of confuse trademarks with patents they'll think because they private labeled their product that it protects them from other people's patents patent is kind of a general it's a government granted right it's a right to exclude other people from from advertising offering for sale importing you know basically your invention I mean, that's the, the boilerplate of it. So the biggest misconception with me is people think if they register their own trademark, they private label their product, that that protects them from patent law. And that's just, that's trademark law. It's just kind of, so the biggest misconception is I see what people will confuse the two. Great. That's really, really helpful already. Because I think for a lot of us, our private labelers and that distinction is very, very important. So, okay, if we know what a patent isn't, it's not the same as a trademark. That's already very important. Um, what is a patent then? What's the basics of it? 
Um, the basics, I mean, in terms for sellers, what is important about patents is there's two. There's generally a utility patent and a design patent for what you'd have to worry about. Generally, a utility patent covers what you think of as the, an invention or the, the useful part of an invention. Um, patent generally is a, like I said, is a government grant a right to exclude others from making that invention without your approval. It generally to get a patent, you know, your invention has to be new. It has to be useful, be non-obvious. For a utility patent, it's the use of the of the patent. What's it called? A design patent covers the appearance or the ornamental design, the the non-functional aspect of a of an invention. I mean, so to get the most protection, people will usually try to register both at the same time. But those are the two big differences. One is the appearance of the invention. The other is the use of the invention. Okay. Very interesting. Now, that's something that strikes me from what little I know of copyright law, and correct me if I'm wrong, that copyright, you cannot copyright an idea, but you can copyright the form of expression, either kind of design. Whereas with patents or patents, um, you can actually copyright the, the, the thing that it does to a degree. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So like um, for copyrights, correct. You can't copyright the idea, like let's say a dance routine, but if you put it into a tangible medium, whether you write it or you record it, once it's in that tangible medium, you can protect it by registering a copyright. With patent, yeah, you can protect the actual, the actual use of the utility of it. You can, it can be the idea. Um, if properly drafted, it basically protects your idea for that, that invention or that product. Okay. So, um, can you give us a concrete example? And I think we should start off with the spin, like most people start off with Amazon FBA, not so much creating their own patents, but making sure that they don't infringe somebody else's. So I guess that's our first concern. Um, what's the best way to, well, first of all, before we move beyond that, just give us an example of a utility patent. Um, okay. An example of utility patent would be, um, um, if you were looking at, let's say, a phone case, a phone case that has a, a light on it, the, basically to, let's say, to light up your pictures. If there's an extra, an extra light there, it'll, it would make the, you know, your, your selfies better, your pictures better. Um, that, so the use of it, the actual the light on the, on the phone case would be protected by utility patent. And then a design patent could be used to protect the appearance of it. It would a design patent is much simpler in that design patent usually just has one claim, and it's just a usually illustrations of the of the product. So that would be an example of where you know one product can get protection from utility patent and a design patent. A lot of companies either file both or they file just the design patent because the process for a design patent is usually faster and you can get some sort of protection quicker where it takes longer to finalize the utility patent application. Okay, so it sounds like the problem area for most people is the utility patent. It's more, it's harder to define. Is that a fair summary? It's definitely, yes, it's definitely much more complex in terms of finding if there's already a patent that exists and in terms of if there's not constructing your own application for it. Okay, great. Well, let's bring it back down to earth because a lot of people listening will be in the throes of either having um, 
private labeled one or two products or be about to do so or be expanding out on the private label thing. So the first thing I want to cover is the worry that people have. And they're always, it, this is one of the classic newbie questions and it's a very intelligent question is how do I know if a product is patented and or patented bearing in mind that a lot of them will be sourcing from China. So what would your first be response to that? What's the simple way of answering that question? Um, step one is like usually, and people are, have a right to be concerned and want to look into it before they spend any money on product development is performing what's called a clearance search. You can do a little bit of your own research. You can have some, you can have some firms, perform what's called a, a cursory or preliminary search, which would be if you're not really willing to invest in a, an exhaustive search, but you're still looking to see if, are there any obvious other products that exist that, that probably have a patent? Basically, you can have a preliminary search to try to identify that. If you didn't, if you had a preliminary search performed and you didn't find anything obvious, then maybe it would be worth it. You can make a business decision whether to con conduct a more comprehensive check. But I mean, basically, step one is performing a clearance search. I would say in that order, to the extent you can do your own research to identify, you know, whether or not you should have a preliminary search done. And then if you have a successful pre preliminary search, you can continue and make a decision. All right, if I'm really interested in this product or this idea, I really have to make sure before I go any further that I have a chance here. That's where when I would suggest trying to have a more extensive search conducted. And if you're at that point, you know, I think you have to hire someone to make sure because you need to find out early whether or not it's worth it to go further. Okay, nice and clear. So when it comes to your own search, first of all, I believe there's a website and I'll, I'll we'll make sure it goes in the show notes, folks. And if you're not sure, just go over to amazingfba.com forward slash Anthony F. Anthony with an H, if I'm correct. And uh, we'll put the notes there. But the first place to go, I would think, is you. I think it's uptso.gov or something like that. Is that a familiar place for you, Anthony? Correct. It's close. It's uh, uspto.gov. It's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. That has the basically the gives you the ability to search. You know, do a clearance search for patents and for trademarks. You can be. Trademarks, it's a lot easier to do the search for, but that would be the starting point in terms of doing your own research. Okay. So now for somebody who has not got a lot of money, but is planning to, uh, say, spend a typical 2000 to $5,000 range on a an order of a new product from China, it's private labeling, so they put in their own packaging and a, a little logo on it, but they won't be designing anything unique. Do you think it's adequate to just go to the USPTO, if I've got it right, uh, site? Do you think that's it, enough protection for most people just to get started? I think that they could get start, They could look into it themselves, but I think that even if they can't afford a comprehensive search, they should probably have at least a preliminary search done. Not everyone's going to be able to have a comprehensive search done, but um, especially if someone's in the two to 5,000 range for, in terms of sourcing, I think they should spend you know a little bit Less, I think you could have a preliminary search done for under a thousand dollars, and I think it's just worth that investment. You can't find everything, but you could at least find it before you start. If there's something that is found either on Amazon or through a USPTO search, basically other competitive products that could be a problem. I think that everyone should do that, even if they can't have a comprehensive search done. 
Okay. I mean, I suppose if you ask a lawyer whether they should use a lawyer, I guess you're going to get that answer to some extent. But I do take your point that I think if you're off, if you're making a significant investment, um, I think one of the points that people miss first time out with Amazon is uh, limiting the downside as well as looking at the upside. People want to put in $3,000 and get out 10. But I think what they're not looking at is the reality that you put in $3,000 and end up with zero if you go really wrong so that's one of the first things to to say from the sort of non-lawyers perspective but having said that yeah you've got to weigh up yourself i guess the, the risk reward side um so that was really that's a pretty straightforward answer so preliminary search under a thousand dollars that gives us a figure to go with um so can you take us uh, through a process that we should go through um when we're selecting a new product regarding patents and trademarks is there um Anything else we need to do apart from the USPTO, if I got that right, and a preliminary search, is that it? Um, in terms of trademarks, you can get a lot done doing that only because the USPTO site will give you a, a good record of, it'll tell you if there's any current registrations for a mark, if there was any applications, and if there's any abandoned marks. And it's, you know, it's much simpler if you're looking to register your private, you know, your private label brand, it's, it's a lot easier to look up, you know, the name of your brand or your, the brand that you're going to use as opposed to, like I said, it gets much more complicated looking for patents. But for the trademark, for your own search, I think that it could be sufficient using, using the USPTO site. I mean, in terms of patents, if we've done what we spoke about, if you did your initial, your own research, if you had someone else perform like an initial clearance search, found no issues yet. You look into your label, your, your brand name, and you see that you know, it can be registered as a trademark in the US. No one else has gotten there first. Um, I think the next step is you need to register your trademark and you also have to, you have to be careful about is if you don't think there's a patent that's at issue and you could possibly register for, for a patent application. You need to keep everything confidential until you get that patent application process, because um, if your invention comes out to the public before you take all the proper steps to protect it, you could lose the ability to protect your invention. Okay, so that's when we're looking at a slightly more complex scenario uh, of uh, creating your own invention. But um, basically, so what you're saying with um, private labeling, though, just to come back to that, is that you need to check for the trademark, and that's fairly straightforward, and you can probably do that yourself. But the patent side is probably something you might want to get a preliminary search done from a lawyer if you're investing a decent amount of money. Is that a, a decent summary? Of that, that's a decent summary, just because I know, like we said, maybe people might not want to pay for the search, but you could be down if you get an infringement claim later and it's valid, you could be down the money you, you invested and you could be liable to have to give up your profits as damages, you know, and it's just, no one wants to do the search in the beginning, but you need to avoid that worst case scenario. And it just makes sense to do it. Great. Well, you're anticipating my next questions because really what I'm looking at is um, what is the biggest risk for any new private label seller specifically? Let's forget about creating your own patent for the moment or your own trademarks. But if you're private labeling, uh, what's the biggest risk around trademarks and patents? Um, the big, yeah, the biggest risk is the potential for damages. I mean, if you don't do your, your homework in the beginning and you just get to selling without doing your research, 
the if a, if you've infringed on someone's patent, they're probably not going to care that this is the first product I sourced. I made a mistake. Um, the damages are real. Intent intent isn't a requirement. So I mean, it's, even if it was just a honest mistake, you're still going you, you're still going to be liable, and you're still going to have to try to deal with and settle this claim if it comes up. Okay. I'm going to have to say that in practice, just uh, before everybody runs for the hills, that I have known uh, a few clients of mine that have had some intellectual property claims and quite often they'll send a cease and desist letter and you just stop selling and they just stop at that point because they don't want to spend a lot of money on lawyers either. But, um, you know, so just to reassure people that it doesn't normally get to this point, but if it did get to this point, what is the, the worst that could happen? Say I've got, um, you know, this wonderful blue pen here and I sell this on uh, Amazon.com, so in the US, and I I treat it as if I had all the rights to sell it, and then suddenly gets in touch with me and says, actually, we are Uniball, you've nicked our idea for this pen, and you shouldn't be selling it, and we're going to take you to court. What's the worst case scenario? Um, I mean, the worst case is if, like I said, if they take you to, to court, you may have, they may... After they send the cease and desist letter, I think the worst case that could happen is if you ignore it and still continue to sell the products. At that point, it can they can try to go after you for what's called willful infringement, and in certain conditions, they can try to collect tri triple or treble damages. Which is once they put you on notice that you're infringing on their rights, um, not even the damages won't even just be reimbursing them for the profits you gain from violating their prop their intellectual property rights it'll be kind of a a punishment or a penalty like i said triple three times as so that's like the worst case scenario is if you keep continue to sell even after on notice of of claim and it's determined valid later in court okay so i'm obviously <clears throat> it's useful to know what the worst thing that can happen is but pretty unlikely that most people are going to be dumb enough to do that so let's assume yeah. that you get a cease and desist letter that the other person, uh, the other entity, the, the the personal company who is sending it to you doesn't back off and says that it want damages. It's basically, from what you're saying, it's limited to the lost profit that they've had from the fact that you've sold. Is that right? Is that the basic principle? That's the that's the basic principle. Correct. I mean, in most most cases have levels where, like you said, a lot of times, if you just comply with the initial letter, it doesn't get worse or they don't kind of get more threatening or seek more of the full extent of their damages. Cause in policing the brand, most, most people are just trying to get you to stop. It's whether it's willful infringement or you're doing a large enough volume is when they kind of come after you further. Yep. That makes total sense. I think the other thing to say, just to reassure everyone before they go, Oh, this sounds far too scary. I'm not going to do it at all. And we're looking at worst case scenarios Correct. Most of the time, it's not going to come to that. And if it does, then you need to have your liability insurance in place, uh, which Ashlyn Haddon, who we interviewed recently, can help with. And again, we'll we'll put links on the page, folks. So it's Anthony with an H. Anthony F um, is uh, going to be the link at the blog. So amazingfba.com forward slash Anthony F for Freddie or Famulara. It's Famulara, I should say.